Hello everyone, welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a graduate student in education at Liberty University. And with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy at Genesee Community College. Money makes the world go round. Or perhaps more accurately, markets make the world go round. Faithful listeners are aware of my mantra that everything in life is education and philosophy. We'll add to that economics, because in addition to continually learning and making meaning, we also continually consume. It's the very definition of life. Economics is a discussion that encompasses the most shallow and immoral human endeavors, as well as topics as deep and meaningful as how we make decisions or form value judgments. Economics is more than just money. Okay, so um, I want to start off by uh, just saying um, last week's podcast quality might have been a little bit off. Like we mentioned last week, we're dealing with some new equipment and a new room, so I'm kind of experimenting with some stuff. Um, hopefully things are better this week. And uh, if they're not, I'll continue to experiment further. But um, let's let's jump into it a little bit. So we gave a little bit of teaser at the end of last week's episode about economics. And, um, you know, we'll start out right with, with the essence of it is what is economics? What where would you where would you start with that? Well, there are two parallel definitions that I keep bumping into. Um, and I'm saying right up front, uh, we talked about this before we started. I, I am not in any way uh, pretending to be any kind of expert on econ- economics. I, I'm a person who lives in our system and thinks about it. Uh, but economics is about, uh, if you go back to the Adam Smith kinds of things, it's about uh, production, distribution, and consumption. Sometimes it's defined as uh, production, distribution uh, of wealth rather than consumption. And sometimes it's consumption of wealth. So the definitions seem to uh, conflate a bit. But anyway, there seem to be three categories if you do the macroeconomical economics viewpoint. So we make things, we decide what we value. In a economics, often seems to operate under something that I really don't much believe in from the viewpoint of humanities, but from resources, yes, so an economy of scarcity. So we have limited resources, unlimited wants, and how do we how do we address that? Economics is about studying how to address that. Okay, and now right away we're into some interesting. Um, into some interesting territory because as listeners to previous shows would recognize there's there's already some other philosophy in there the biggest one is um axiology the idea of value systems you know how do we establish what has value and um and that's where you know in the intro i said you know economics really addresses some of the kind of the shallower base um consumption methods of humans but it also i think it has the potential to address some of the other higher principles Mm -hmm. and so um you know if you're if you're talking about axiology and forming um values then really you're looking at okay you know you could be talking about goods and and values and whatnot but can economics um 
is there a system of economics in uh, what we're doing right now, say? All right, let's say I want to have a podcast radio show. That's a demand, right? Mm -hmm. But I am in demand for um, expert knowledge or a sounding board, somebody to talk to, something like that. So you supply that. And in exchange, we have a friendship. We have something like that. Yes. Does this count as economics or does there have to be a physical or material exchange of money, property, barter? I think it counts as economics. But I think it's a... It's an economics of, I'm betraying a bias, of, of greater value. I'm not of greater value, but the friendship and the discussion and the sounding board, and you keep making me think about things which keeps me fresher, and that ultimately makes me better for my students, and, 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 and. Uh, there's a product. You have worked very hard to set up the, your exacting standards for a sound system, which means you've you've bought things, you've cobbled things together, you've uh, used material, and then you you upload that product onto the web, and we have some listeners. And, and so, yeah, I think that's economics. Right. And so, and so I'm wondering what an actual economics um, expert would say about this, because economics is based on um, certain principles. You mentioned one of them, scarcity of resources. And so... Technically, we have scarce resources because you and I don't know everything about every topic. So, you know, so like our our yes. ability to, and we also have a limited amount of time. Time mm. is probably the scarce the scarce resource in this equation because we also have other responsibilities to the work that we do, our families, right. um, other things that go about in living. So it's probably the time that's the scarce resource. Um, but that's just one way. That's one of the things I wanted to kind of make listeners aware of in this discussion is that when you're talking about economics, you're not just talking about money. And in a lot of cases, I mean, up until, you know, relatively recent human history, money wasn't even a prime factor in economic transactions. Mm -hmm. um, but even today, um, there is, you can put things in the perspective of markets or supply and demand, or scarcity of resources that have nothing to do with um, fiscal or um, barter systems yes. so much. Yes, I mean, this is a sharing of ideas. Now, you're expending resources, you've got your, your equipment plugged in, it changes your electric bill a little bit. You've, but, but you make decisions about what, what you value. I take art lessons, you, you do this, we, we, we give our resources where we want to improve ourselves or have fun or or stretch stretch ourselves and time is certainly a resource but oddly i think that's one of the it seems scarce but it's not a year ago thank you very much you prodded and and it wasn't prodding it was just nudging and and we did this and it doesn't feel to me like i've lost any time out of the day it makes the day much more much richer and and when I'm doing my art uh, work, that the time flies, so to speak, but it doesn't feel like I've lost anything. Uh, where in, in more traditional material, I think, economic terms, one can feel like, oh, well, I have fewer dollars in my pocket I've lost or I've gained. I think loss and gain is, is so embedded in our vocabulary because of economic capitalism that, that the metaphors just surround us. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. If you and if you look into it, economic metaphors are some of really the most prevalent in language. Um, but yeah, there's it's in a lot of cases not so much gain and losses. Um, there's an exchange. You know, you're you're doing something, and like like you were just saying, um, in our case, I you know I feel the same way. Where it's it's it doesn't feel like an exchange because all right, it's it's taking my time to do it. But this is how I want to spend my time. Exactly. If I didn't want to spend my time this way, we, we wouldn't, wouldn't be doing, doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, really, where is the uh, where is the exchange? Where is the thing? And that might be where um, somebody would argue that it it doesn't fall under an economic system. Um, but, or or it doesn't fall under an economy of scarcity. Right. Right. There's never any end to ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So and and that's where we're getting into the essence of economics. How how do we how do we define what an economy is, what a, what a market is? And, um, you know, I think that we've, we've done a good job opening up the topic, um, talking about it, but can we narrow it down any more than that? Like, you know, like, so we need, I think we can say with, without reservation that in order to have an economy, you have to have a market and you have to have a demand for some type of good or service and a supply for that good or service and an intervention mm-hmm. which would be something that we talked about last week which would be some overarching system governmental system rule-based system that tries to make adjustments when things aren't going the way the rule-based system would like them to go okay so by that um let's go back to um, 5,000 BC, let's say we have some cavemen, right? If I want to exchange, uh, you know, some berries for an animal pelt, is, is there a regulating system? Does that count as an economy or is a barter system? Um, where do we draw the line? Where does, where does something? Oh, I think uh, a barter system is an economy, but as okay. I said, I'm not an economist. To me, it's an economy because if you trade berries for a pelt, what you're essentially saying, I think, is I picked these berries. I spent some time doing it. I'd like that pelt. The person who has a pelt says, I don't want to go out and pick berries. I, I like making this thing, but I really would like those berries. So I have a need. The, berry per, the pelt person has a need. The berry person has a need. And they address that need with each other. And, and, and the difference is that berries and pelts in a, or a barter economy there's not a standardized valuation that there is in coinage. Right. And I think that that's where some of the really interesting stuff in economics comes along is because in some of the research I was doing for the show, they were saying um, an important aspect of, you know, economics is that it has to have, um, there has to be some objectivity. And I think that that's where the regulating body that you're talking about comes in. Somebody has to be saying, okay, you want this, you want that. I, as a third party, am saying that this is what the value of those things have and this is how they should exchange. And I think that that is a very important part of an organized economy because if not, um, human subjectivity can swing wildly. And the thing that immediately pops to mind to me is the Bible story of um, Jacob and Esau. And Esau changed, exchanges his birthright you know, for... A bowl of soup, essentially, you know, mm-hmm. and that's just the first one that springs to mind. But there's definitely numerous examples, whether 
historical or anecdotal or what what have you of people making very bad trades uh, you know um, <laughs> yeah or, native, or bad native trades. americans yeah, um, well know. yes yes and 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 that in part was the intent of the of the people there was a there was an an absolutely abject pointed intent to make a bad trade right um to to on the part of the of the europeans so it was yeah, there, there was no regular. Well, the regulation was all on the side of the Europeans, and that. And this is where our our discussion from last week ties into this week, is because we brought up almost you know this exact point, which was that how politics and economics sort of interact, and how a political system can achieve a goal, but the actual intentions of the individuals behind that goal might be different yes so we set the rules if you want to play you have to play by our rules if you don't understand our rules that's okay we'll play you i right. mean th- th- that's the that's the downside mm-hmm. of an economics and, and you know i don't want to i'm, I'm not going to go all political on us but uh, but uh, i i think there's a really interesting example i don't know if now it's the time to talk about it but you can back me off if it is we we still we people right now people make uh, you know are all hoo ha about the the fifteen dollar an hour wage kind of thing and well it sounds tremendous and it sounds like a good idea well you bet it's a good idea because it still doesn't bring us up to more than something like nineteen eighty in wage terms so yay we've moved from nineteen seventy five to nineteen eighty mm-hmm. wage terms and we live in twenty nineteen and the very system that keeps people from making what they ought to make is the one that says you ought to feel really grateful that because after all we're companies and we're giving you this extra wage so be happy about it even though there's a great imbalance right yeah and there's definitely um you know it's it's, there's empirical research to back up the fact that the richest are getting richer and the poorest are getting poorer despite interventions based on wage income and stuff but we're getting into um the speculative portion of the okay, show so, we'll, back early. so we will, we'll talk about it we'll get to it a little bit later so the essence of economics i think that we've done a pretty good job um talking about what is what is an economic you know what what makes something an economic mm-hmm. system i think we covered that well and as well as um, the elements that constitute an economic system i think that the core elements of what constitute an economic system is um essentially axiology of value value judgments you know deciding on values um giving those values to objects or uh, monetary designations or whatever it happens to be right and i think that you know how about this do you think that a political system is essential for an economic system do you think economics stems from politics can you have one can you have economics without politics Oh, that's an interesting question. Politics is the power relationships among people or systems. Um, Economics creates rudimentary, temporary, or shifting power relationships. So I don't think you can have economics without politics. However, that doesn't mean you can't have economics without some kind of organized political system. Right. And so I'm coming back to it. I'm thinking about our our caveman example there. Let's say we're exchanging berries for pelts, right? 
but let's say you show up to do the exchange and you've got 10 of your caveman buddies with you and I'm by myself and say, I, I think that 10 of these pelts are worth two berries, right? <laughs> Well, I'm in thinking that of a case, far side cartoon. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love those. Yeah. But so in that case, there is an economic system, but there's such a power imbalance that it's skewing the value that the items have. So now you're saying, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you two berries for your 10 pelts. And I'm saying, oh, uh, okay, just give me something, you know, don't yeah. take them from me. Don't beat me up or whatever. Right. Um, that probably still constitutes an economic system but um, with political right. force. Right. And so that would be like the extreme or the, um, you know, kind of the primitive, the most primitive version you can kind of imagine. And yet I think what you just described, I won't go to the speculative, but what you just described <laughs> is enacted mm. often in the 21st century. Right. Under different guises and, perhaps less physical forms of intimidation. but um, So that kind of covers the essence of politics. What is politics? Um, formative. Um, I'm talking about how politics evolved. I think that we've kind of covered a lot of that too. You know, I think that economics... So we talked last week about um, the evolution of politics. Yes. And, um, you know, there's whether or not animals have politics, um, whether or not politics evolved naturally or required um, very careful human thought. And I think that um, we sort of came to the conclusion that animals do have a form of politics, but it's not a reflective system. And that yeah. human politics were probably, um, it probably required a very... Um, required some sort of reflection, some sort of um, forethought. It probably wasn't a naturally evolving thing. Do you think that both of those things apply to economics? Hmm. <laughs> I was just thinking of the beehive. You were talking about ants last week. And the beehive. Well, the, the, the scarcity of resources. Well, now we have scarcity of bees. Hmm. So we have scarcity of workers. Um, which affects other kinds of things. So I suppose there's, I think it, uh, E.O. Wilson, mar marvelous, amazing writer about all things animal and behavioristic. And um, I think he, in one of his books, he would, he has asserted something about animal economics, but I can't be sure uh, about that. And, certain, and it's not a reflective system, but it does do, deal with resources. So the question is again, now I lost myself. Do we? So I, the question is, um, like politics, does economics um, exist in the animal kingdom, but probably not in a reflective state? And does human economics require um, an, an advanced forethought, or was it something that just sort of naturally evolved? I think it might have. I think it probably naturally evolved as people found that other people had things that they wanted or could use and got past killing them to get it. I mean, that this is all speculative, right? Mm -hmm. But I, uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, the valuation, I think that's the reflective part. Why do I value something? Why, why do I? Want it? Has that want been created outside of myself? Is that want emerging from inside? Yeah. So I think that um, 
much like last week, I think the animal and even non-animal, just natural economics probably does exist, but it's probably, well, it might be reflective in higher animals. Um, but yeah, okay. So we'll stop there for a minute because I think that that's real interesting. You mentioned bees, right? Hmm. So bees go and they collect pollen from plants. And so bees are, bees and, and plants have a transaction. Does it, now can that count as economic, an economic transaction? Because a plant obviously cannot have a reflective component, but it is carrying out a transaction with a bee and the bee is gaining something from it as well. Do you think that counts as economics? I think that's not the kind of economics we're talking about. Right. I, I think, well, Joel, that, that, okay, so that, I think this really points to something about the valuation. If you think of the world as something, if one thinks of the world as something that was created as a whole system with a higher purpose and everything has its use in place, that's an economics. Uh, that's an economic system writ into theology, for instance. If it's if it's has it, it, it evolves, it, remove theology, uh, or and then add it back in if you want, because evolution doesn't preclude theology. But if if you if if something a system evolves to the point where bees have this transaction with pollen, then it is it is an evolved economics, but it's an not a conscious economics. That's what I, you know, as a lay person, that's what I would assert. Right. Okay. So if we swing wildly from bees and plants up to, um, let's say other primates. Now I haven't really looked into a whole lot of studies, but I'm assuming that groups of primates might exchange things. Um, but I'm not entirely sure. Uh, yeah. I've, <clears throat> I'm not, I'm not. I. I mean, um, you know. Well, um. Oh, well, okay. Let's take uh. So lions. You have you have a pride of lions, right? Female lions do hunting in exchange for. I'm assuming the male lion gives them something, whether it's reproduction or protection or something. Again, it may not be. But that's probably that probably has less to do with economics and more to do with the um, that's the a, evolution of the that, animal. That's what the, the Richard Dawkins would call the selfish gene, right? <laughs> and well, and that's so that, okay. That's an interesting part of it is um, researching for the show. A huge component of economics is self-interest, and we talked about that last mm-hmm. week too. In in politics, mm-hmm. um, things are always acting in their their own self-interest. Um, so. Economics was probably in in its formative state. It developed because of self interest. You had humans, and um, you know, probably even from the earliest times, there was it would be pretty rare to have self sufficiency. You had something, you had an abundance of something, and lacked something else, and you were able to do some kind of exchange. But and it's even, always in your self interest to do so. Yes, and and what is the self-interest is a created, partly a created concept. Even so, even back to the pre-Socratics and philosophy, the aphorisms that some people generated either by writing or speaking, and other people writing them down about 
of not wanting too much. You know, this is not a suddenly in our time period, everyone's downsizing as we've talked about. Mm. This is something that has been a cautionary uh, observation going all the way through philosophy. So if one is urged to have a balanced life, to live in harmony, and to not overstretch in what one wants, that implies that an overabundance is a detriment to mental health or to even physical uh, health or physical needs. You don't have the money to get things and so on. So there's a strange political thing going on there. Uh, Don't want too much. Uh, Don't covet your neighbor's stuff kind of thing. Uh, And yet an economic system develops that says you have the responsibility you bearing fast forwarding to our time. You're bearing upon your shoulders the responsibility of the world. If you stop consuming, then systems collapse. So want, want a lot, and yet the other voice is saying, but don't want too much. Right, and so you know, as we talk about formative um, issues in economics, I think we're kind of walking up through history now. So we talked about you know early on. You know, yeah. barter systems, cavemen. So I think that now we're into a classical period or even an early modern period. And um, I think that you're right. I think at some point there was a shift, probably um, before the modern period. I don't know if there ever was much of an emphasis on um, pressuring people to consume. Do you think that there was? Not to the degree that we have, because there wasn't this that we know of. There wasn't in human history, the kind of incredibly, almost unbelievably abundant cre- creation of stuff the way there is in our time. So, no, I don't think it was the same kind of thing. Uh, but as systems grow, and this is, what it, this is what I think economy is about, too, we always talk about growth. And that's part of the formative thing. Grow, grow, grow. But at some point, you have to know when to stop growing or there's a problem. And we don't hear that. Right. And so, you know, I I think probably looking at it historically, I think you're right. I think there always was um, a drive to consume. But I think there was probably, um, probably isolated to... The richest. There's probably because I think that the richest people have always had, um, have always wanted to display an opulence. But I think up until modern times, regular people were too focused on survival to really think about but, collecting things. But states, uh, imperial states, want. I mean, the, the reason that th- this continent was devastated. Uh, by Spain, the reason that slavery was created, and this is not an overstatement, is so that that incredible want by an imperialistic power could be fed. Right. You know, and 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 one can speculate and we into our own our own history. But so yes, there was need, or rather want. Mm-hmm. There was desire to accrue, to take resources. It's gold, self-perceived, or other kinds of metals that we have given value to. And there's your, there's your value again. 
Yeah, we're getting into some really interesting topics here. And so you just said something that, that really made me think, which was you said need and or want. Um, do you think that that is kind of, that might've been some of the tipping point with the growth mentality was when economics switched from supplying um, items that people needed to survive to supplying items that they wanted instead. I do. I mean, the idea of supply and demand has to a language person, (laughs) all kinds of levels demand I come to a let's I, I come to a shop. I say I I want this item. Yes, sir. We have this. Oh, good. I'll come back to your shop and buy something else. Why I want that is at, at base. Demand is created from outside as well as from inside. Thus, the advertisement industry and everything that Marshall McLuhan taught taught Mm. us over the years and Neil Postman and the rest of them theorizing about this manipulation. So when we are manipulated into thinking that we have a need, then the system is prodded to fill that need or the need is already, the, the products to address that need are already there. But now we're going to want them. Mm. That's different than saying, I need a pelt. That's different than, than saying, I want to be warm. I need to buy some wood. Mm. Oh. Right. And I, again, this all comes back to value systems, you know, and human subjectivity. Just, you know, trying to, and I don't, I don't think it's something that people put a lot of conscious thought into, and especially with um, how rich even poor our poorest people are today compared to people who lived thousands of years ago um it's not something you have to put a lot of conscious thought into but where in your mind do you draw that line between things that you need and things that you want and this time of year especially where we live uh, that's something that you think about (laughs) every time i hear every time i every time i hear the furnace kick on you know every time i hear the furnace kick on i think is that a need or a want Mm. You know, because think about it, could you really survive outside in these temperatures? Um, and people did it. People did it for thousands of years. So even even heat or shelter could be construed as a want rather than a need. Um, Up in to the a most, point. I mean, right, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, trying to figure out what that is. Obviously, we need food. We need water. We need to have some sort of protection from the elements. Um, but you could also. Um, just as easily say that people need social interaction and they need these other things. And mm-hmm. those are not things that are typically thought of as um, falling under the realm of economics or, or something. But I think that based off of some of the things that we talked about, what oh. the essence of economics is, I think they do kind of fall. Under oh, it. I think they very much fall into this. So back me off if I'm going in the wrong place again. What is Facebook? Right. Oh, that's a great big economic engine for social interaction that, yeah. that, that, that was sold as a way for everyone to be connected. And now we look at all the fallout from this and the constant debate about it. But it was created for that mm-hmm. by someone who wanted to make lots and lots of money. Right. And, and, and created or addressed or built up, reframed what the need was. Yeah. 
and and it's funny because it's it's all it's paradoxical really or ironic that um you had this thing that was created to um create social connections and really and i think that it does but you could almost argue that if you were going on if you were going to stereotype about the effects of facebook and gen generation z or millennials and how they use social media you probably wouldn't be wrong to typify it as something that actually reduces social connections and instead is a fantastical construction of how you want others to view you as opposed to genuine interaction. Well, there's, oh, there's so many words you're just like genuine and social. I mean, if I write something to someone else on Facebook, it's possible that I'm being genuine. Mm. It's also possible that I'm being disingenuous, but that's the same thing as if I'm talking to somebody face to face. I, if I in, inside loathe the person that I'm talking to, but I'm trying, somehow trying to sell them something, I am being enormously disingenuous for the sake of capitalism. So yeah, we, we, we are valuing, and, and what you just uttered is brilliant because we are valuing what we think of as some kind of social relationship over another. Right. The whole phrase social media, which can be a different discussion for us entirely, there is no such media that isn't. Right. Yeah, all, <laughs> media all is media. Always yeah, it's always a, um, yeah, and I think that we should. I think that we should do one on, on social media. I think that would be really interesting. <laughs> um, before I forget it, I want to get back to the other thing that um, this sort of struck me that I thought was kind of interesting, thinking about formative topics in economics. And that was... Um, do you think that the growth mindset and the push to consume uh, coincided with the, um, not the advent, but the mainstreaming of money? I don't know, Joel. What do you think? I'm thinking, I'm thinking so, but again, this is, this is sort of an off the cuff thought, which is what this program is about. about. We don't come in here um, pretending to be experts about every topic. The Mm. purpose of the show is for you guys to get an insight into how philosophy is formed by regular people. It's just you and me talking about an idea spitballing it Some, <laughs> sometimes something comes out of my mouth and i immediately think oh that that revise, wasn't revise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's there's nothing wrong with that i think no. that w- where it's wrong is if you pretend to have authority you don't have or if you stick by claims that um you have no uh, mess, no uh no point in or so ask your question so um money coinciding with the sort of political push for economies to consume and grow because and here's my thought behind it right um even when you had you know eventually in in early modern eras you had the mainstreaming of money usually in the form of gold or silver or some sort of precious metal these things um in the time period didn't have a whole lot of value of their own nowadays we use gold and silver for electrical transistors and all kinds of useful stuff um but they're still in many cases purely decorative or you know whatever but back in back in early modern times they probably didn't have a whole lot of value on their own they're merely a symbol of something and so and people like to talk about that with america and the gold standard well our money is no longer based on the gold standard, so it doesn't mean anything. Well, what were you going to do with a pile of gold beforehand? Were you going to eat the gold? Were you going to, I don't know what you were planning to do with it, you know? Gold in itself is just a, 
a placeholder for value, and money is no different. Our money is no different from monopoly money. Gold, unless you're planning to actually implement it in a physical device, is nothing more than monopoly that money. It's a game. It's, 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 it's just the... It's a game theory. It's a exactly, game. yes, game theory. It's the physical, um, physical placeholder for value. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking, in pre-modern times, you have um, gold or silver, you know, or whatever people were using for currency early on. That kind of opens up the economic system because before that point, when you're based on barter, you really do have a scarcity of resources. You have 10 pelts and you have two bushels of berries or whatever it is, and you trade them. Once you have a placeholder for value, I think there's a lot more leeway for um, political organizations or regulatory organizations is a better term to um, sort of fudge the value of the goods that are being traded Mm -hmm. and you see that on a large scale in modern politics um almost every modern government is trillions of dollars in debt people like to make a big deal out of it with the u.s um but it's really everybody um the u.s has trillions of dollars of debt and people like to think oh we owe all this money to china china has less than 12 percent of the u.s debt so who do we owe all the money to? They owe all the money to us <laughs> because there's, there's just this giant Ponzi scheme that's kind of going on on a global economics level um, where things are being manipulated in order to continually grow. And China has a big problem with this, a construction problem. China is building mega cities that nobody lives in um, purely looking toward to stoke growth right to stoke growth and looking forward to it but china has be- china china has become the economic engine of the world we like to, to, to think that we are we are not we are seeding we have been seeding this um, they're bigger they have more people they have a large a longer range view of of the world and and that is playing out. It's not us that are building tremendous construction problem uh, projects around the world. It's China. Countries are looking at China to build road systems and and waterways and so on. So they are yes, they're ghost cities, but they are looking at growth on us of a, uh, in a way that we don't. Right. So I we're transitioning now into the speculative part of the program, and and it's a good time for it. Um, and so, and like you're saying, this is something that we, um, we did to ourselves consciously because the U S decided at some point, I think probably during the nineties, maybe it was sooner than that, that they wanted to transition from being an industrial economy to a post-industrial, um, economy. Mm -hmm. And so they started sending manufacturing jobs to places that could produce things cheaper, um, in order to make way for um, technological jobs and and things that were um, considered to be um, of a higher At the same time as, and doing that because they didn't want to pay people what we think we ought to be paid because of our living standard, which is a value in itself. Mm. And now our living standard is moving backward because we want things cheaper. 
So, so there is a kickback. There's a, there's a pushback and in, built into the system itself, especially when it is, it's always artificial. As you said, it's a game thing. It's, it's, a, it's an artificial system. Things get pushed. The system itself pushes back. You get what you pay for. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's a metaphor, right? We, yeah. <laughs> I don't buy that idea. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't sell me that one. <laughs> All right, so speculative. Um, <laughs> let's talk about what economics should be then, because I feel like we're we're sort of trending in that direction. Um, we've talked about you know kind of the current state of of the world economy and whatnot. So, what should economics be? Um, it should be more understood by ordinary people. I mean, right. I, and that's not quite what you're asking, but. It's, it's as with civics, as with politics, we have such a, an ignorance of the very systems that we live within that we don't, if we don't understand the rules that we've created or acceded to, uh, uh, then how are we going to improve it? Because I look at ideas, they're tariffs. Right. All right. People think the, the the people that think well tariffs are a good idea don't necessarily understand that tariffs aren't prices that are being paid by a foreign country that the tariffs on the price is being paid by the people who live in the country that put the tariff on in the first place right and and if you don't get that and many people now are getting it yeah yeah <laughs> um, you made me think of science fiction again. Uh, I've, you know, I watch and read all kinds of things, but there's many post-apocalyptic or apocalyptic level stories immediately kick to the barter system. Um, I was thinking of a TV show I was watching. It's called Colony. It's a fun show. It's very interesting. But there, there was, there's a, a main character. He's going through a bunch of drawers in a house looking for things that are useful. He finds this huge wad of money, tosses it back in the drawer. Has no yeah. use now. What they need is um, uh, insulin, hmm. medicines, um, foods that's not outdated. Uh, those are the things that have high value. Then there's a second high valuation. Of, you're talking about money being uh, the coinage and such. What about the objects we say are of such value? If you don't possess them, you can't be us. The driver's license the papers, whatever those papers are, that in another time and place would be totally meaningless. Right. But we say if you don't have this, then you're in trouble. Yeah, it's a really powerful thought. Um, you know, there's, there's a very famous picture um, during World War II of, of a lady just shoveling German marks into a, a stove mm. to, for heat, you know, just burning piles of money for heat. Um, and like you were saying, um, other modern papers, a, you know, a college degree or a, you know, citizenship papers, you know, essentially you're having a paper that's saying you belong to a place that we drew an imaginary line around. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's kind of an interesting question. Um, and it, and it really, um, highlights the nature of the whole political economic, um, interactions. If we can't keep growing, if we can, it, it, so let's, we're doing this Socratic thing, aren't we? So can we always keep growing? No. Why? Because we'll run out of 
resources. Unless we generate other resources, right? right? Or find other resources, which means we'll grow in one way because we have to move out away from our own planet. Right. And really, in that case, all you're doing is um, scaling up the current model. You're not creating more resources. You're pretty much stuck with what you have. Um, but you could consume the entire universe, I suppose, if you were... Um, you're right where I want you. So that's right. okay. So, all right. so, so if growth cannot be infinite, well, well which, which kinds of growth cannot be infinite? Human growth, we can reproduce like crazy. And, and maybe we'll find a way to get out to the stars or at least the planets, the asteroid belt, whatever. But if it's the same economic system, and all of our storytelling makes it that way because we don't seem to be able to think past into other kinds of systems all that well, uh, then you're, you're right. We're just scaling it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that there's a, a push and now we're into, you know, what should economics be? We're, we're getting there. Right. And really this is going to sound political. Um, but anybody that knows me knows that I'm, I'm pretty much right down the middle anyways, but I think renewable resources are a way of reimagining that um yes that system because you're looking at ways of reusing resources in terms of just using them and you know a lot of a lot of republicans are inexplicably against renewable resources when what's the downside to it you invested you know you know you now have resources that you're not going to run out of okay um mm -hmm. So what, where was, where, where was the, where's the downside? I'm not sure. Is it, is it the money that you're spending? Cause anybody knows that's a basic investment principle. You're going to have to put money into something or, you know, it's basic economics. You're going to have to exchange something for something else. Well, if you want unlimited resources or, you know, AKA renewable resources, which probably aren't unlimited either, you know, but you're greatly, um, increasing your yeah, eventually ability the to, sun the sun blows up right. about four billion years from now yeah, but. yeah. but um you know it, it it seems to me like there isn't much of a downside you you have an initial investment the same way you do with anything you exchange something you give something to get something else and the thing that you're getting um appears to be much safer than the thing <laughs> that you are currently using so i think that that is sort of a um that's i think that that's kind of the uh in modern political economic theory, I think that, that would be the big um, new thought. You know, that's the one thing that has the ability to sort of change things. You know? Okay, so so there is an, an intensive push right now to try to solve the problem of fusion energy. Mm -hmm. Long time people have thought about it. We know stars use fusion energy. So essentially you're trying to create miniature stars but you have to be able to contain them in order to have but fusion energy is completely clean <coughs> excuse me so if you if fusion is developed and there's money being poured into it now because of all the things that are taking place on a planetary scale and if we have this totally renewable or usable uh, energy and you spend lots of money developing it does everybody get to have it or is it an economy of scarcity again right and and that's the thing is <coughs> renewable resources still don't solve the problem because there are other 
issues going on that um, that are problematic. Um, one of those would be uh, human reproduction. Like you were saying, you can reproduce infinitely, but then you're consuming resources that are not renewable. Plants are a renewable resource, but if the biomass of humans grows to such an extent that you can't grow plants fast enough or on enough of the land's surface to feed them all, you're going to have a big problem. Um, same thing with human longevity. You know, people are trying to find the cure for death. They're trying to live forever. Well, there's, you won't live forever. You will die eventually. Um, but your death will probably be much more unpleasant than it would be if you died of natural <laughs> causes because something catastrophic is going to happen down the road that will lead to it. And probably the scenario that I just mentioned, if nobody dies, but people are still reproducing, then you're going to have a um, cataclysmic increase in the number of people who are consuming resources that are already here. Yeah. Um, so, so we've, we've, we've talked about the problems with the current economic system, but what should it be? How should we solve it? And I think you started with a good spot, which was saying that people should understand it more. I think you're absolutely right. I don't think people, I don't think average people think about economics you just buy things. And that leads to a lot of problems, especially in America. We have people who aren't saving for retirement, people who can't pay their their bills. We have people with all, with all kinds of issues because they don't understand a lot of basic and, economics. And, and they, and but that's also compounded with by the manipulation. The manipulation so so that if you're See, this is, this is where it gets really grim for me. Mm -hmm. At one and the same time, you have a system that is not paying you what it really should be paying in real wages in the time and place in which we live. At the same time, yelling at you because you're not saving money uh, in, in a system in which med medicine costs what it costs. Uh, and so you're, you're letting people not win either way you're just squeezing both ways be guilty if you're not buying enough be guilty if you're not saving enough right always be aware that you're just not good enough no matter what that's not a good model yeah and so we've talked heavily about um the role of value systems in economics but i think now we should talk about um ethics we should talk about um some of these things and i think you're absolutely right america is almost a um just a, a textbook example of unethical um, economic implementation. No matter how you look at it, whether it's yeah. if you look at the political system or if you look at the the capitalist system. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I you know, I'm we're again, capitalists. Right, right. right. I, I don't, I'm capitalist. That's yeah, and I, I don't like to get into a whole lot of personal views, but I mean, you brought it up with Facebook. Um, you know, advertising. In America, I don't think is an understatement to say at this point in time is fundamentally about twisting people's wants into needs, making people think that they need things that they don't need in order to consume, in order to enrich a a company. You know, and, and if knowledge is a is a commodity, and we say we're in a knowledge, an information economy. Now I'm thinking of the German woman with the marks. So let me mm -hmm. let me make this connection. If 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 the if the information that you are providing is like cranking out dollars 
to the point where they become not valuable anymore. The information that you have access to, suddenly the world is at your feet and you don't know how to sort through what's what's good and what's not. You aren't going to be valuing the things that are... Now you, you, aren't, you can't tell the difference between tin and gold. <laughs> right. Uh, nobody's showing you how to, or you don't want to know. You just, I want to believe that tin is right because I like tin. And so therefore, uh, then the, that, that economy goes right. south. <laughs> and it's funny because that's the class I'm taking right now is about, um, digital technology in education. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that they kind of talk about is the problem with it is that there are so many digital tools that educators could use to enrich learning. But the problem is there's a couple problems. First off, the individual educators um, are of a generation that generally don't know how to use the tools. And then the educational institutions are more focused with just buying equipment than actually finding the right tools for the jobs. And so what you have is, um, classrooms full of high-tech equipment that's not being used and students being in classes that are conducted in a way that is sort of irrelevant to their everyday life. These students nowadays are technologically and digitally connected in ways that we can't even comprehend, but they go into class and they put all of the devices away, which in some ways I think is good, but in some ways it does make you think, well, if some of these students now at this point in time have grown up from the time they were born with screens, and now they're going into an environment that is completely devoid of them, it's almost hard to make the connection with, you know, it's, it's almost hard to um, relate the, the topic. So, you know, bring that back to economics. Um, you know, essentially trying to find what what a market needs and how to connect things and whatnot is a is a big part of it you know mm-hmm. um so i think that when we're talking about what economics should be um you know we're looking at we need economics is about growth what well, what well, let's say economics wasn't right what would what would be the um the impact of that if there was no growth Economics, see, it's good you you went there because economics, well, let's go to the root again. Echo meant home. Um, the, 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 the suffix part of the word, uh, essentially meant, uh, uh, not affairs, but, um, um, not assessment. I can't think of the word that I want. It was about home management. Mm. That's why we have people who say, and you're talking about debt, who think, well, we, we got to balance our checkbook, so does the government. No, because governments on that scale do not work the same way as the only, and people who, and the politicians who coyly say, oh, well, it's just the same thing on a giant scale. No, it's not. This, just like quantum froth is <laughs> different than, than our uh, larger world. So I don't think that it has to be about growth. I think that is something that we've decided that it has to be, or certainly not growth on an explosive scale or growth for the sake of growth. You know, I, I don't think that that's an, a, a built-in 
automatic. So do you think the reason for that all comes back to essentially an arms race of kind? Do you think it's a, it's a global sort of inter, international political um, flexing competition? Or what do you think the reason is? One reason is that we have established uh, living standards that the rest of the world doesn't necessarily want in the same way. They don't want to be us, and many do not want to be us, and, and God bless them. But I, but they still see, okay, more uh, perhaps resources that um, can address health or water or shelter or whatever it is. So, so the system that we create grows the rest of the world wants, or whether we created the system or not. It, it, the rest of the world tries to uh, get up to par. But we don't want them up to par, because if we get them up to par, then we're all equal, and economics isn't about being equal mm. in a political sense. All right. <clears throat> That's a very powerful statement, and I think that it's accurate. Economics is not about being equal in a in a political sense and that comes back to part of the problems that we were talking about earlier with china is that all right so at some point in the past we outsourced all of our manufacturing activity to china because we wanted things cheap well all of that newfound um economic stimulus for china started creating higher standards of living the chinese started consuming more raising prices of things and so as they become as they raise their standard of living, things become more expensive for us. And then we, you know, we find that, um, unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, you can't say you want to be better than everybody else and then say, Oh, but we want everybody to be the same. Right. I'm sorry. I've got a, this, this cough is intrusive. I apologize. <laughs> No, economics, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, and that's what, that's what we alluded to a little bit earlier on, you know, is that economics really does, um, give you a, a deep look into the darker side of, um, human, human interactions and human politics. It doesn't always have to be right. grim, but, but I think we have to understand how it gets that way. You know, Karl Marx wasn't right about everything either. Uh, but some of the ideas were, were presented uh, in a theoretical sense haven't necessarily been realized in ways that that uh, people would would, would have wanted. But then again, we we, we can't we, politically, economically, where it all meshes up. We if we can't be honest about where we do have a mashup of systems, where we we do have socialism we do have a republic we do have a democratic republic which itself is a mashup and then we have capitalism but it's not pure capitalism right um but you suppose you had a capitalistic system in which companies actually paid the taxes they were supposed to pay suppose it wasn't common for a company to approach a com community and say you want us here give us 10 years free without taxes and and then we'll bring x number of jobs whether those jobs actually come or not is a secondary problem. But suppose the company said, yeah, we want to be here because you look like you have uh, people we could use. We're happy to pay your taxes. We'd like to set up shop. 
that's virtually unheard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, we've, so we've covered a lot of, a lot of ground here. And I think that, you know, looking forward, I think that there is, I think there is hope in the future that things will, um, things will get better. I think that you, you brought up an interesting point is that, you know, there's, it's, it's a mashup. And we talked about this a little bit in the the politics podcast in the past and a little bit after the show too. But I think that the, the place for hope is that mashup. And it is the idea that, um, eventually we'll be able to write the course a little bit. And especially when, when things become less, um, tribalistic and antagonistic, like people, you know, socialism is a huge hot topic. People are all against socialism, but socialism is really just a fact of modern life. Like socialism exists in every form of government across the globe to some extent, but that's the key word to some extent. Um, and to some extent, because the capitalistic part hasn't been able to right. manage to have people be able to care for each other. Exactly. So that's, that's the thing is, you know, like I'm not, I'm not a socialist. Um, but whenever somebody says to me that um, <laughs> socialism is, you know, socialism wouldn't, wouldn't work or it's a terrible idea. I say, well, are you willing to let old people die in the street? Are you willing to let people who can't take care of themselves die? Well, no. Well, that's socialism. Right. Money, the government, you said last week, it doesn't have to be red or blue or anything else. No. The government collects taxes, and then they do the things that individuals and companies are unwilling to do, which is look after the best interests of people um they yeah. can't yeah you know? we're not talking about so, right and so when you say you're not a socialist you say i'm not purely a socialist but i'm also not purely right. a capitalist i'm a mashup yeah in an, <clears throat> in an ideal world sure the company comes in happily pays taxes a lot of that money goes to charity workers that take care of the people that can't take care of themselves and the whole system trickles down perfectly um <laughs> Well, we haven't seen that quite no. yet. So, obviously, you know, pure capitalism, you know, Reagan economics hasn't panned out perfectly. And we've seen, like you said, we've seen a socialist and communist experiments that don't pan out perfectly. So, I think that what we do we have to do is rather than fight for or against one of these systems, yeah. we have to look at each one throughout her history as, as a kind of a learning experience and see what are the why, elements that could be recombined in order to right why did this fail what can we do what can we do differently and again you know i think that it's all a refining system of figuring out what do we need versus what do we want you know what sort of things can supply that need and what sort of exchanges do we have to make to get the system to work and on a large scale i think that that's that's how economics and politics need to interplay um if things are going to get better you know Mm. so i think we'll uh we'll end there so hey thanks for listening and until next time keep pondering